You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hello, you're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Corey, a.k.a. Bayou Benders, alongside Mason Dixon, and this is Habs Night, your hub for Habs content. Back to another episode of Habs Nightly, folks. Unfortunately, uh, not not a lot of positivity uh, since the last game. But Mason, how are you doing, bud? I'm all right. How are you? Doing fine. Uh, about to work and my first big event tomorrow evening. So I'm a bit excited because I'm getting back into the swing of working again. Um, but other than that, it's kind of been just. At least on the Canadian side, dude, I've just not been fucking happy at all. But I mean, I'm sure no one else is really like excited, you know, because this team's kind of crumbling. But there's a lot of big name teams in the league that are just underperforming at the start so far, uh, especially against Seattle yesterday. It was real tough to watch. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to watch it. I know you did, but it's just really hard to you know, to be busy at work, uh, check your phone, and a minute into the game, it's already one nothing. Um, you know, at that point, I'm just like, I don't even know if I want to keep checking my fucking phone because I don't want to be aggravated while I'm working. You know, just a, it seemed like a real tough night for two teams that have been really struggling as of late. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm home. I'm back home in my hometown for the weekend or for the week for reading week. So we did a double header with my buddy who's an Avs fan. We watched the Avs game. Started nice. at eight. Avs got absolutely walked over by Vegas. And then watched the Habs get absolutely stomped on by Seattle. <laughs> and uh, we do this thing where so we go to the LCBO, which yeah. is the liquor store, and we go get like because they always have new stuff. So we get like one of each for like for both of us of mm-hmm. drinks we've never tried before. They're like weird, right? Yeah. And one of the drinks we had was this strawberry rhubarb seltzer, hard oh, seltzer. God. And the sour taste I had left in my mouth at the end of the night was from the Habs game. It wasn't from that fucking strawberry <laughs> rhubarb seltzer. It was a tough game to watch. It wasn't, nothing was going right. And ugh, it was just, I don't know what to do here. I, Nothing seems to be going right. Even when our players play well, Caulfield had a great game. He can't score. I know things aren't going to continue like this. They just can't. Like, right. this is brutal. But I sat there, and I, I just looked at my buddy, and I said, uh, 
at one at what point in that 2000 you know 17 like the year they the abs were historically bad mm-hmm. i said at what point did you just start getting numb numb to losing because i just want to <laughs> hit the, it's like i want to get there at this point because it hurts me it hurts me cuts me deep every time the Habs lose still i uh i would i'll be be lying to you if i said i didn't watch a lot of shane wright and connor bedard highlights today on my mm. break at work so it's kind of the mood i was put in <laughs> after watching that game i i can't even offer analysis or feedback as to why i think they're losing i think there's a myriad of reasons right but it's just it's almost incredible how bad this team has been to start the season yeah, and it's dude, it's a shame. Um, you know, we were just there was talks that we were, you know, uh, you know, we didn't think we were going to do this that great this year, um, but this has been just anguish. Uh, I don't know, man. You know, I was expecting. I mean, truthfully, you shouldn't even expect with this team right now. I was expecting a win just because of the the slow start to Seattle as well, but I mean Seattle played last night as if, you know, they've they've had a connection for a long time and uh it just really sucks to lose to a team that has been kind of like really easy to get by as of late. And for them to put up five five goals is just I just feel like this team's just crumbling around us. And I know we we try to stay positive. Uh, the only positive thing is, I mean, Mike Hoffman, what, two games in a row gets a goal. So hopefully Mike Hoffman <laughs> starts to heat up a bit. But, I mean, it, how do you even continue to go on as far as, like, like what it, this, like what is the measures to, to try to shake this up? Do we just let it continue and, and hope for a success? Do we do we try to bring up a young kid like uh like Harvey Pinard or somebody to try to shake things up? Um it's just really tough to watch. And I mean, this team is like has has really resorted to just like heavy hitting, uh and you know, and you you think with that it would it would be because we're adding a level of defense, but our defense has been terrible, and not just the defense men. It's just the just the overall second part of this game that's not offense has just been so ass backwards along with our offense. We're not even at like a competing fucking level. Our face-offs have just dwindled. I mean I actually disagree. I don't even think we have been hard hitting. Okay. I, I don't I don't think there's been anything going right. Like I don't think you can pull any positives away. Because when you're on a three game losing stretch, you can say, Oh, it's okay, we're doing all the right things. We've we've lost six games out of seven. Mm-hmm. We've scored more than one goal. Was it once or once or twice? I can't either way. That's pathetic. (laughs) Like this team is pathetic. They 
the only reason this team isn't dead last in the NHL right now is because shit show organizations like the Blackhawks and the Arizona Coyotes exist. We've and- only scored uh, more than more than one goal, one game, and that was at Detroit. Every yeah, and that was against one of, the, one of the other bottom feeder teams in this league. Like, the Seattle Kraken are not a good hockey team. They're not. Like, mm-hmm. they have some good players, but they're not a good hockey team. We went to the Stanley Cup final last year. And I understand that we've lost a lot of players. I'm not expecting this team to win the President's Trophy, but I am expecting this team to show up. Eat. Yeah, do something. Mm-hmm. But you're getting absolutely walked on by organization like the Seattle Kraken or Buffalo Sabres. Like you need to beat those teams because Lord knows we're not, they're not, the Habs aren't going to win Thursday night in San Jose. We haven't won in San Jose since 1999. Yeah. California, the California trip is always brutal for Montreal. Mm-hmm. So I don't see where this team digs themselves out of this hole. I, I think the time for positivity is over. Now you've got to start, you've got to start accusing somebody. Right. And I mean, I mean, look at, look at, let's just look at the lineup, right? They put Sherratt with, with, uh, excuse me, with, with Petrie. And I mean, I know that it's just an easy, you know, it's an easy thing to go to, but it seems like the charm and the coaching staff are just as dumbfounded as we are. And they're just trying anything that they think – like they're looking at like NHL NHL ratings. Like, okay, well, Jeff Petrie's an 86 and Sherratt's an 82. They should pair well together. And it's, it's dumb. I, I feel like we're watching like a fucking child use this as like a fantasy league with this team, like just, just slotting people in where it's just not fucking working. And – I don't know, dude. I, I I really don't. You're not lying though about San Jose. San Jose has been a fucking wall as of late. It's, I mean, they're, they're like one of the top teams in the fucking league right now. And I mean, even with the Kings on a on a bad drought, you still have to. We're dealing with uh, Philip Deneau. You know, uh, we're gonna. It'll be a first game. Excuse me. It's the first game against Philip Deneau since everything happened. And on top of that, they still have. Uh, like, at least the Kings have been fucking scoring. Like, that's what scares the fuck out of me is like, okay, you think, okay, we got a team that's one and four, just like Seattle was. We we should be okay. We should be able to counteract a bit. And there's no fucking shot. We're going up against a team, you know, that is that was supposed to be just as bad as Seattle that has Victor Arvidsson, Athanasu on it, uh, Fucking Dano and um, what, what what's his name? Anzi fucking Kopitar. Like, it, we're not gonna do much better. And then the following week is, I mean, not the following week. The next game is is the Ducks. 
And yeah, they've, I think they've dropped the last two games, but they started their season out strong. And, you know, with the likes of like Kevin Shattenkirk helping them, what do we have to look forward to? Uh, November 2nd, when we play Detroit, when they come and beat our ass, fucking, you know, as a retribution? That's what I'm saying. It's fucking aggravating. This team can't, doesn't have any, anywhere to look ahead to in the schedule because we can't beat the teams that we should be beating. Like power and play, we're we're thirty first overall. We're thirtieth on the penalty kill too. <laughs> it, Nothing is it's, going it's, right. It's ugly, dude. It's ugly, and we're we're thirtieth in faceoffs. And you know that's I love to bring that fucking up. That that's such an integral moment for us in every fucking game. We are just bottom of the fucking barrel right now that's why i'm saying there's nothing to be positive about in terms of like oh we're doing this i'm not saying there's nothing to be positive but you can't say we're doing anything right because they're not doing anything right nothing is going their way right now and it might sound crazy for me to switch up and say I know I'm I'm looking at Shane Wright, but the way this team is playing, I honestly believe that we will be a contender for the first overall pick. If things continue this way, mm-hmm. I truly believe that is a major possibility. And I think the only person that can fix this goes by the name of Jeff Molson. And he needs to decide here very soon when enough is enough because the help isn't going to come internally here. Even if Montreal picks shit up, they have to play 600 hockey to even think about qualifying for the playoffs. Right. Something they haven't done since 2016, 2017. And that's a real stat. You can look that up. So this team is in trouble. They're not going to make the playoffs. And I will not be happy if they finish 16th, 17th, whatever fringe and barely make or don't make the playoffs. They don't make the playoffs. That is the biggest failure. This team, if they, if they're barely out of the playoffs, that is the biggest failure that this team can accomplish. They either need to be out of it and in lottery contention, or they need to clearly make the playoffs. This is not a clear cut playoff team. So that's telling me that you need to clear house. And I'm not saying tear down everything, the entire core. The core is fine. But I think what Mark Bergevin and the coaching staff needs to understand, the core isn't the issue. It's not his fault. It's not Brendan Gallagher. Mm -hmm. It's not Josh Anderson. It's not even Jeff Petrie. The core is Nick Suzuki. Cole Caulfield, Alexander Romanov, Caden Gooley, Paling, um, Jordan Harris. The core is guys who aren't even in the NHL yet. That is your core. Right. Those are the guys you got to build off of. So what you can do now, you gotta get you gotta make a head office change. You gotta make a management change. And then you need to flip some of those guys. I just think that's the way it is. You got to suck it up and flip some of them. I'm we're gonna we're gonna have to go through some pain here. 
But I honestly believe if Montreal drafts Shane Wright in this upcoming draft, they, they'll compete next year. It'll be more fun next year. You think Shane Wright isn't going to play well with a guy like Cole Caulfield or a Brendan Gallagher on the wing or a Jonathan Drouin on the – like, he's going to get points. He's going to play well. And even then, there's some other really good players in this draft. Brad Lambert comes to mind. Um, Matt, Matt Savoie. Like, there are a bunch of uber-talented players in this draft upcoming, especially at the forward position. The top 10 projected is dominated by forwards. I believe there's only one defenseman, David Juracek, who's projected in Bob McKenzie's top 10 for this draft. That You need to look at that because mm-hmm. I don't – you're not – you tried something, it didn't work. Let's not, let's not stunt ourselves, players' growth, and put ourselves back another year when there's still time to fix this and say – okay, if we're not going to win, we're really not going to win. And you don't have to tank. You can You can do what the I, – I hate to use this example, but it's – you know, we talked about it before. A Senator-style approach of – the Senators are still going to lose a lot of games this year. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if you watched that Washington game the other day. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, they're going to lose a lot of games, but they're going to score a lot of goals. And that's what Montreal can do. Mm-hmm. Nick Suzuki and Caulfield can still have great individual seasons. And if they can each put up 60, you know, even 50 points in Caulfield's case, if Suzuki can put up 60, 70 points and we only win 20 games, I'm okay with that. Because yeah. that is more progress to me than if Montreal wins 25 28 30 games this year Mm -hmm. and suzuki puts up 55 you know 50 points and we drag like i don't see that as progress because our progress lies with suzuki and caulfield and romanov and etc doesn't lie with you know hobbling into the playoffs no you're right and um I like that you brought up Ottawa because I was actually thinking about Ottawa and I was like, we really need to take, you know, an Ottawa approach to this. You know, you're talking about uh, kind of clearing house and, and moving, moving players around. I mean, once this happens, we really need to look at a team like, like Ottawa who accepted, you know, that it was going to be hard for a while and allowed the young guys to come in in the NHL, accept the role and play, play being the most important thing, allowing these kids a, a fucking fast pass, you know, to experience in the league. Like we were successful with Nick Suzuki. We were unsuccessful with, you know, like Kat Kenyemi. I'm just going to say it, but look at, look at like that Batherson kid, look at Timmy Stutzel, uh, fucking Kachuk, uh, the, I think what's his name? They do they have Bean or do they have uh no they have Pinto. Uh these kids are gonna get every possible uh, Thomas Shabbat. They're gonna get every chance to play because there's nothing else. There's there's no one for them to to swap, you know, a veteran for them to play so they, they could sit out a game because they're not they're not uh producing. If we have to move players and and players I don't want to see move but if we have to do that then 
we don't we need to to look at the approach of like a like the senators did for the past couple of years and play their absolute fucking superstars that could be in in their their young kids down you know for us in Laval. They need to bring these guys up and need to give them all every chance they can to absorb as much time on the ice as they can for the rest of the fucking season. Give them an advantage. This is a terrible year. We're writing this year off. This year is for you to just get a hot pass of learning how how it is to play in the NHL, point blank. And, you know, two years down the line, they'll be that much better for it. No, I agree. I think this team – I think it's safe to say this team isn't headed in the direction that anyone wants. So if someone thinks this team is still capable of playing 600 hockey and qualifying for the playoffs and making a deep push, you know, I disagree with you personally. I think this team at the start of the season, I would have agreed with you, but we've seen how this team can play. And I understand seven games aren't indicative of the team's entire identity, but Going based off the past, you know, four or five years, like I don't, I think I've seen enough to make that assumption. But if you want this team to go all in and push, that's fine. Or if you think the opposite and you want this team to, you know, go, okay, we need to draft well, we need to draft high and sell some pieces to make room and positions open for our younger guys so they can take those over and grow and develop, that's fine. I think what we can all agree on is that the the direction this team is headed in right now is one that no one likes. Like no one wants this. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not cheering. I'm not cheering to to get the the highest draft pick we can. I don't want to watch this any more than they want to. You know, they want to play this. You know, I don't. I'm not saying that they don't want to play the game. I'm saying they don't want to play at a level where they're not feeling like they're competing they're not winning you know the culture's off no one wants this but we're i guess we're giving you know uh, an opinion as to what what we can make of this season more or less you know is just uh i'm not gonna accept it i want to see us fucking win you know but if it's coming down the line and we have an opportunity to go big. I don't see why we we have an opportunity to draft well. I don't see why we we don't necessarily take it. I'm not going to tell you know. I don't want any of these players to not play at their best, but it just seems as a team, um, it's just not working right now. Uh, whether that's the play style, maybe they're they're, they're over Deshaun's methods. I don't fucking know. Uh, maybe they just don't know how to fucking build a line correctly. I it's it's over my fucking head. I'm not in any shape to fucking you know be the person to. This is exactly how we got to put the, the puzzle together. But something's got to change, you know. And if if we're already you know not even a month in accepting that this is a, a you know it a 500 at best team right now. Uh, I want to see some moves, you know, I don't want to finish the season and be like, okay, what did we do as a team to try to fix this or correct this in the future? And 
nothing happened. We just kind of let a, a bad season slip by, you know, or, or an average season slip by. I think, granted, you know, like I said, it's, we're not fully a month into the season yet, but I want to see some type of moves. Regardless, you can't let something like this slip by. Even if it's just one move, something has to be done to try to change the, I don't know, the look of this team. Yeah, and I, I would don't think I would ever suggest that any player isn't going to try to play their best each and every night. Like, you don't make it to the NHL. And it just it doesn't – the draft doesn't help individual players, so I don't think that's what we're suggesting at all. No. Um, I just mean to say that as a GM, you can move players mm-hmm. to then – you know, success is relative, like, when you talk about success, you're talking about what you have to consider what someone's trying to accomplish. Now, you can, because for example, you can look at Detroit and Calgary the last three years and say Calgary's had more success than, than Detroit because Detroit's been awful. But they've been trying to accomplish two very different things. Calgary's been trying to make a deep playoff push. Mm-hmm. Detroit's been trying to restock their cupboards and develop their young guys. And when I phrase it like that, would you still say Calgary's had more success? No, it, it, it's, it's all, you, you know, people look at it linear, you know, and it's, it's not success isn't the same for everybody, you know. Exactly. And, and just because we don't have a winning season coming off of a Stanley Cup appearance doesn't mean that it wasn't a successful season. There is so much that, that this team can do to correct, you know, future, you know, mistakes from happening uh, that would that would turn this into still a very positive season. Yeah. Yeah. We don't we don't look good on the on the fucking boards. We don't look good, at, you know, uh, on the fucking the entirety of the NHL. We, we could be dead fucking last. It doesn't mean it's it's the end. You know, the Oilers did it. I mean, fucking Buffalo had chances to do it. I kind of want to get in that in a second. But, like, you know, just because you you crumbled and, and, and you've had years of, of failure doesn't mean that your team is – it doesn't – you know, like this season doesn't have to be unsuccessful. We can do positive things during it that sets us up for a better future. And I think that is just as important as making a Stanley Cup finals appearance. If you don't fucking win it, then – you know, as long as we did something to make the next season better is all that fucking matters. And we still have a hell of a lot of time to do that, you know, before the season's over. I'll be upset if we just let this opportunity go to waste, you know. Oh, yeah, I think Montreal needs to – the front office and the ownership needs to look and say, like, we need to try something else here. And I think the direction of this team needs to be changed. We're going into two of the strongest draft classes in recent memory. We have a chance to really develop some of our young guys who are already in the NHL and add some very quality players into our prospect pool. We're going to need them. We are going to need players to replace those of – guys who are getting older and guys who you know are 
probably not going to be on the roster anymore, dude, whether that's cap constraint or, you know, initial rosters are pretty fluid. We've seen the turnover rate Montreal had 43% of the Stanley Cup roster is gone. So I think it's important that we take a step back and we acknowledge the Cinderella story run was fun. I think Bergevin, you know, I'll give Bergevin more credit than at most and say, yeah, I think he had a good plan. That team was built for the playoffs. It wasn't luck. And they did what they came out to do. They, they finished a little bit short, but it was fun to watch. I'll remember it forever, and I wouldn't change it. Ten out of ten times, I'd say, let's go for it. Make all those moves. I want to see that Stanley Cup run again. But I don't think it's okay to cling to that and pretend that we can have more success than we can. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we could beat this into the ground. Um, we have a little bit. Um, I'm going to have to ask you to take the reins on this one a little bit because you've watched it, but I think it's important we talk, bring up the uh, discussion around Chicago and John Doe, who we now know as Kyle Beach, came out tonight when we're recording this, um, revealed that it was him and really shed some light on the situation after the investigation by Chicago's internal investigation was released to the public. And, uh, you know, from what I've seen, it's pretty, it hits pretty hard. Um, You've watched the full thing though. So I just, I guess, take it from here. Like what, what are your thoughts? Um, I'm not gonna lie. I started to tear up a little bit watching it. Uh, It's dude, that interview, I, you know, I kind of rec- recommend it to anybody because you you could have a friend that is has a secret like this, you know, that 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 is too afraid to, to bring it to light. And uh, I'm so happy, you know, I, I'm upset about it, but I'm so happy that Kyle Beach was able to to find the strength to come out and and speak on this. Um, his interview with uh, Rick Hedstat hit red. Rick Westhead of TSN, uh, it's about a 25-minute um, interview, and, you know, they don't go deep into, like, what had happened to him as far as, like, the physicalness of it. If you want to learn about that, the 107-page, uh, you know, document that has been issued by um, – I forgot the name of the, the – the law group, but you can download that, read it. I read the first couple pages. It's fucking disgusting. Um, it was so hard to watch Kyle Beach, though. You know, this is a this was a guy who was drafted first round, eleventh overall, two thousand eight for Chicago. You know, this was supposed to be a, a future asset for this team, a guy that was going to help, right? And just the feeling of of listening to his story and. You know, he he goes on to say that, you know, he felt like the like the organization didn't care about him, that he lied, that, you know, that his life wasn't as important as their video manager, um, because, you know, God forbid you, you mess up the rhythm of, you know, of the, the games and, you know, the Stanley Cup playoffs, um, 
but he just goes into like a little bit of like the mental side of it, you know, like he's, he, he suppressed this for years and years, you know, it's, this is an 11 year old thing that's going on. And he said that he had to trick himself to try to, you know, to, to continue to play the game he loved. And it actually, it, his story, as I'm watching it, you know, as I'm, I'm as I'm listening to them talk about it, it's reminding me of Netflix put out that movie. Uh, I think it was uh, workhorse or something on the lines of that. And it was about, uh, a native American kid from Canada that got put into the, whatever, I, I don't remember what y'all's called it, but, um, you know, separated from his family and this kid's like only outlet was hockey. And he has his, his, uh, preacher. I don't know what it is in Canada, but the, the priest was like, uh, like sexually molesting this kid and all this shut. And it, it damaged him. And like, as I'm watching Kyle talk about how he had to suppress it for years, because, you know, his dreams of playing the game and his love for the game is what, you know, helped him get through it as he could, you know, his love for this game was tarnished by what Brad Aldrich did. And uh, you need to throw the fucking book at Brad Aldrich. I don't care if this dude rots in prison. I don't care if you give him the fucking death sentence. Um, because Kyle Beach is not the only person he did it to. You know, he goes on to say that, you know, with his time with the Stanley Cup, he got to take it. Uh, he he brought it to um, a high school from, I think, Michigan ways from. Then he, after the Chicago incident and he left, um, I even watched the, and I'm, I know I'm kind of all over the place, but I watched a little bit of Duncan Keith's uh, interview based on this and, you know, Duncan Keith was saying that not everyone in the locker room knew about it, yada, yada. But, you know, he had asked where had Aldridge had disappeared to, you know, the following season. And they kept it under wraps. They said that, you know, Aldridge said that the NHL was too much for him. So he went and took a job with the NCAA in, in Michigan. And then it happened to a, a guy out there or, or it was with the U.S. program, one or the other. But the fact the fact is, is like, you know, Kyle Beach got put in a disgusting situation that destroyed his his mental for the rest of his life. Um, you know, during a time where this kid was, you know, on on track to be the best he could be in in this league and for his organization. Um, and they just dam- they just damaged him and just just watching him break down and try to hold it together to to just finish this interview it hurts so fucking bad to watch because you know aldrich told him that he could ruin his career and at 20 years old you know he had worked his entire life to get here you know so you, you got someone that just sexually assaulted you and now, you know, to keep it under wraps, you're, you're in fear of losing the only thing that you have, you know, which is this game. It, it, it was just so, so fucking hard to watch, dude. Um, but kudos to Kyle. Kyle said, you know, like uh, Rick, Rick West had asked why, why now did he make it, you know, did he make it public that he was John Doe number one? And, you know, he said that 
there was just so much information in the 107 pages and, and then with the recent interviews and stuff that you know you could do some digging and you could figure out it's him but he wanted to just you know like one small victory for him you know it's it's an opportunity for him to to try to get some of the the nastiness off of his back and i'm just super proud for him to be able to do that and, and to even have this interview because you know like everyone's gonna fucking watch it and at this point you're an embarrassed you you're, you're a fucking victim you know and I just think it's it's got to be one of the strongest things to do after years of playing. You know, he had mentioned that there were guys that were in the Chicago organization that played against him that would call him the F word and and just derogatory slang while he's playing. It's like this kid not only lives through it, but is taking it from, you know, his peers. And then the and then the Blackhawks organization shunned it, shunned him and just pretending like it didn't happen because they were on their the chance to get their first Stanley cup. Uh, it's just, it, it's, it's sickening. Um, Ryan Whitney posted early on Twitter, you know, like the fact that, that John Quinville is, is coaching an NHL game tonight after this interview came out, because, you know, the only thing that we knew from reading that packet was that Joel Quinville and, um, I think it's the GM of Winnipeg knew about it and they lied in their documentation. But after watching this interview, you know, he sheds a little bit more as to what uh, Joel Quinville did know and what he had said. Uh, he, he refers to uh, Stan Bowman after stepping down in one of his interviews saying that Joel Quinville said that, uh, you know, this, the sex, this isn't like the, you know, the exact quote, but, you know, like just because this guy got sexually assaulted by our video manager is not as important as our run into the playoffs as us finishing and, and winning the Stanley cup. And Can I, may I just interject here? Yeah. I think you make an interesting point when you say that, they're doing it for the sake of their video manager, like covering it up. And I think it's just important to highlight that the Blackhawks organization covered this scandal up for 11 years for the sake of their fucking video manager. Yeah. And I'm not discrediting the work that other video managers do across the league. Mm -hmm. but let's just be realistic here and let's call a spade a spade. Video managers on the list of importance, Importancy. priority, um, they're not – okay, what they do is a great service, but they're not exactly indispensable. You can get a new video coach, and, you know, it's a video. If you got to go without a video coach for a while, you can. This isn't a star player they're covering up for, which I'm not excusing. I'm not saying it's okay. It wasn't their head coach. I'm saying it's a fucking video manager and they would rather take up all this and risk all this for an asset that isn't as important anyway. I don't, I don't think if you kick this dude the fuck out that it would have destroyed the momentum that Patrick Kane and, and the rest the rest of the, I don't the, even, the 2010. I, I don't think it would have even like 
oh shit, he's gone. That sucks. But what I'm saying is, I don't even think it's about so much the Stanley Cup run when I say like when he's the importance of the position. Like, let's even assume there's no Stanley Cup involved at all. It's your video manager. Yeah. Like you're willing to risk all this because this is the stigma around sexual assault that fucking bad in the hockey community still that you will defend a video manager with your career and your livelihood and possibly with your freedom. People are going to serve jail time in this. And, and you do all that instead of talking about it, instead of dealing with it, that just baffles me. This goes now, back to... Uh, I think Kyle Beach. Mm-hmm. I think Kyle Beach is tremendously courageous in coming out, like you said, and he stated, it gives him an opportunity to let the world know on his own terms who he is and what he went through. So my thoughts and prayers are with him. It'll be still yet a long road to recovery for him. I can imagine, Um, you know, thoughts are with everyone else affected by Brad Aldrich and to Brad Aldrich. I am just the most sincere. Go fuck yourself. Like, and to anyone that knew about this and continued to employ him, go fuck yourself. Like yeah. this isn't this isn't something you can sweep under the rug. It it really like you you always hear like the term like the old the old men's club and, and shit like that. Like that's you know, you hear it a lot because we just recycle fucking coaches in in the league you know or you you go back to when the WHA was formed because you know they didn't want to give the players any more money they they liked where they were at they liked to keep their pockets big this is one of those old men's league moments you decided to keep this under wraps to save a video coach that stepped away and continued his predatorial instincts in a fucking, you know, at an even younger group of of players moving on. Just because your team was finally successful, it's not enough. You know, there's nothing that they can say that can make up for it. Um, The fact that, you know, the investigation got turned down, you know, the Chicago said that they did an internal investigation – which they talk about in in the interview, which which was not fucking true. The NHL didn't want anything to fucking do with this. That's why this investigation wasn't done sooner. And it's finally being brought to, you know, to the surface now because Kyle's brave enough to to get it fucking done. And there's a couple of guys that are, you know, that are trying to serve the justice of this. But there's another guy in this, James Gary, who was like their fucking uh, – counselor and he i think he was like um like special he worked with special teams or whatever this piece of fucking shit told kyle beach that 
it was Kyle Beach's fault. Now, now, granted, you know, this is not the direct quote, but Kyle Beach said on, you know, in the gist of that he put himself, Kyle, in that situation to have that happen to him. Therefore, it's your fault. James Gary, like a big fuck you to you. Uh, I'd punch you in the fucking face if I ever seen you. Just like Aldrich, I don't give two fucks. Um, anyone that kept this under wraps just deserves all the tarnished reputation to have everything stripped from them. Um, it, it, it's so fucking diabolical. So like just the epitome of fucking evil it, to just, Oh my God, I, I can't leave it. You know, I don't, I don't want to say anything because I'm working for an organization that's, that's finally winning that that's, you know, at, at the top of this piece of shit people, the organization, I, like Chicago can't do anything, anything to make fucking new fans right now to try to fix anything. Nothing's going to fucking work. It's going to be like this for fucking years. And I feel so bad for the city of Chicago, for the fucking fans of this shitty fucking organization, uh, for Kyle himself, for the other kid that Aldrich did this shit to. A big fuck you to all of them. I feel bad for fucking Florida because Florida's finally getting their shit together. And and Joe Quenville, who I thought was an amazing coach, uh, not any not any fucking more. You can have everything fucking stripped of them. I feel bad for the players that were on the 2010 team that didn't know anything about this because their shit is tarnished now too. Uh, I, this rant could go fucking on forever, dude. It had made me so fucking embarrassed and sick and pissed off fucking listening to this poor dude just cry his fucking eyes out in this fucking interview uh just to feel unwanted unloved unappreciated unrespected the the whole fucking nine yards you know and the fact that he had to you know they win the stanley cup he's in the fucking parade and aldrich is there too you can look up on fucking you can look up his name kyle beach and look at the images on fucking Google. There's there's a couple of pictures of him in the parade, and he just looks not hat, you know, like not there. It's fucking unreal. Like this should be the time of his fucking life, and some piece of shit twenty seven year old fucking loser who, who's a fucking video coach, a fucking video coach is parading around like he's the, the fucking big dick swinging Stanley Cup champion. And, and his fucking, you know, his victim is up on top of the fucking float having a midlife fucking crisis at 20. Fuck him. Fuck that entire organization. You could go back to 31 fucking teams in the NHL. You could get rid of fucking Chicago for all I fucking care. Fuck. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I'm getting too fucking worked up. Segway. Yeah, I think. Segway <laughs> to our fucking sponsor, DraftKings. Thank you all so much, DraftKings. The NFL fans hungry for a big win this week. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 fucking dollars in free bets. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can pay 
everyone can play for huge fucking cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets if they win. You win with promo code THPN. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only, new customers only, $5 deposit, a $1 wager, once per customer, restrictions apply, see DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for fucking details, gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER, Jesus, yeah, I'm I'm so fucking worked up right now, dude. Rightfully so. Um, I think... I just don't understand how uh, just a common person can get this worked up, but no one in the organization other than the people that helped him didn't feel this bit of outrage. What they just made too much money in their life to, to look past a fucking, a child getting fucking sexually molested, you know, and the, and it's fucking, you know, the start of his prime in his career. I think, I don't think I can put it into words how I feel any than what you've said. Like I said, my thoughts are with Kyle Beach and everyone affected. I think it's important to note that there's probably other people who have been affected by Brad Aldridge, but maybe not even Brad Aldridge. And we can look at a discussion about this is a real issue in the sport, not just one organization. Mm -hmm. So I hope this leads to new conversations, more conversations, and I hope it leads to most importantly change in the NHL and in hockey as a, as a sport. Um, I don't have anything more to add. Like I said, I think everything else has been said. Um, do you have anything else you want to say, Corey? Not a fucking shot. Not – nope. Nope. Good luck to this team. Okay, with <laughs> – yeah, with that, um, I think we'll wrap it up yeah. today. I don't yeah. think anything more needs to be said. No. I don't uh, shout think out be to respectful to even segue from that. Yeah, no. Shout out to Canadians Aggregator for always showing us love. Uh, Mason, you got anything else to say? No. No. Like perfect. I said, I don't think we can talk about anything else after that. Yeah. So This has been Habs Nightly. You know where to find us. You know, if you want to talk to us, go to SpeakPipe. I can't wait to talk to you guys this Sunday. Happy Halloween. Stay safe. I'll talk to you soon. We love you. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.